0: Yeah. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com.
1: You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the All Weather Fan. My name is
2: Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid.
3: Baltimoreans.
2: Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? Welcome to the off season. Yes. Yes.
1: Uh, welcome to a familiar feeling of watching baseball on the couch in October. Well, we did that last year too. What, watching baseball on the couch <laughs> without the Orioles playing the games that you're watching.
2: It's a it's a uh, a Pretty, familiar a familiar space to be in.
1: Yeah, and I described it about as literally as I could have. Uh, no metaphors. There wasn't,
2: there wasn't a lot of uh, of our usual flowery rhetoric around that particular sentence.
1: No. no, no, there wasn't. But but there's some of that coming later. So we'll
2: get we'll get back to it. <laughs> Now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, there's,
1: there's a bit of ambition going on in the studio tonight. This is our very first two-part episode. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. It's a two-parter. In part one, well, let me start over. <laughs> what I mean is, uh, what we've done is we've, we've created a two-part 2013 season recap episode. And in, in, in accordance with that, we have gotten almost everybody from the Baltimore Sports Report Network to come on the show and share their ruminations and recollections about the season that was. And uh, we've also got an old favorite, Dan Duquette, joins us once again to, uh, to offer what I think are, are probably maybe going to be perhaps the most insightful
2: uh, <laughs> thoughts. We're not um, sure, of course, what he's going to say yet because this is live radio and whoever knows. But, but. yeah, uh, I mean, obviously,
1: obviously, I just mean he's established a tradition of excellence in his previous appearances. Sure. On sure. the show um so it's going to be really awesome and we have a tremendous amount to get to so we will tell you very quickly that we are proud to be members of the baltimore sports report network baltimore slash network and that you can find our website at be and there's a contact us link there and if you click that link
2: brother you can get in touch or <laughs> sister in so many so many beautiful ways yes um but you know, Sam, that we have a little a little gag on this program. We do? Uh, I, when we kick things off, where I like to pretend, in my own little way, that an incredibly obscure fact is a, about a about a number, usually corresponding to the episode we are on. I, I can't remember um, you ever doing that. It's actually a well-known and common parlance, when of course it's not. Mm. Um, but we come on this episode to the number 69 and a number that actually does have a series of fairly definitive social connotations. Indeed, it does. Um, I think that you and the rest of the Moron Nation need to get your mind out of the gutter, however, because I am referring to a new poll where participants were asked about whether they think both parties of Congress were acting like responsible adults or, quote-unquote, spoiled children based on their respective positions during the current government shutdown fiasco. Can I just say, uh, I resent... The fact that you assumed <laughs> that when you said the number sixty nine I was thinking about
1: sex and not Congress, right, of course, although sex is Congress, <laughs> but please continue do you have the bell
2: <laughs> bells bells in the bell's shop, shop. <laughs> <laughs> it 's out it 's out <laughs> all right respondents uh, and i 'm going to go ahead and lay out my cards on the table here, Sam, as if anyone had any doubt what we were holding correctly identified Republicans as the most spoiled, um, with 69% saying that congressional Republicans were acting like children. (laughs) There are many things being said about the idiotic kerfuffle that is happening in D.C. this week, um, but even the very most base and crude of us must acknowledge that this whole thing is costing a lot of people a lot of money. Yeah. Um, With nearly 1 million government workers currently on the pine and looking to be uh, out of work for uh, the foreseeable future with the panda cam dark at the washington national zoo that's the real tragedy that's I think. that's that's where the, the shit hits the, the fan <laughs> <laughs> um and uh an estimated cost to the u.s economy coming in at somewhere near 1.6 billion dollars a week Chump change. Now, we're just guessing, of course, but that's that's the estimate here. So, uh, I'm going to live here. I'm going to run through this a little bit of a calculator here. Mm-hmm, Let's mm-hmm. see. Um, Alan Smith's fingers are flying, ladies and gentlemen. Billion billion a week comes out to just over $2,645 a second. What? Um, uh, of course, that would be about $793,000 a minute. Um, which would be about a hundred, uh, sorry, ten million dollars that the U.S. economy will have lost by the time you finish listening to this episode.
1: Ooh. Oh
2: man! <laughs> oh man! <clears throat> but and this is a shorter than usual episode. <laughs> this, is, this is this is a short one. Um, as a former member of the lamestream media myself, mm-hmm. uh, I would also like to point out to our listeners that the thing that has gotten my goat the most uh, since this bout of idiocy started. Is the absurd notion that this is in some way a standoff or negotiation that is happening in Washington, D.C.? I don't think it matters what political persuasion you are, but I would like to say definitively that it is not. Mm. It is not a negotiation between two parties sitting down at the table. It is a civil war within a single party that no one else has any ability to affect. Um, And the Republicans are going to have to sort this one out themselves because... They are throwing a snit fit in a way that does not allow us to actually govern. Um, so anyone out there reading standoff or showdown or failure of leadership, uh, and if it's not failure of leadership by John Boehner, or any of the other um, political terms for disagreement, you are actually reading a failure of journalism <clears throat> because people are going back to a cliche playbook that they don't actually mean. And it does not at all describe what's actually going on. ta So episode 69 <laughs> – um, not only is that the percentage of people who believe Republicans are acting like children, but it is also a memorial episode for the 1969 Orioles season. Ah, uh, a uh, very fine year. A very fine year in which they won 109 games in the regular season.
1: That's a lot of games, Walter. Setting
2: a record that was not eclipsed until the Mariners, I believe, in 1998. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, you know, that was a course of team that had. Robinson and Robinson, um, Boog Powell, uh, Dave McNally, Jim Palmer. Um, and it did manage, uh, to make it to the world series where they were unceremoniously beaten in five games Mm -hmm. by the New York Metropolitans.
1: That's, that's just embarrassing.
2: Um, this kind of actually raises a interesting question for me, uh, that we will be talking about uh, pretty much in every episode, but, uh. (laughs) It, it, it's it's one we reflected on fairly regularly um, and it's about fandom and the fickle folk that we are as fans. Uh, we often claim that we want our team to be winners mm-hmm. and they want them to be uh, you know wire to wire winners full season long. It would be great if we just led the entire time. And I'm sure that, you know, many people in Baltimore uh, would have been fine if that team went on to also win the World Series. They I, wouldn't have been crying into their milk. They wouldn't have lost any sleep, I don't think. But as a fan, don't we actually really want to be rooting for a team like the 69 Mets over the 69 Orioles? So Ooh. let me tell you about the 69 Mets. They had not finished higher than 11 out of 12 in the National League in the last 10 years. Ooh. They uh, had not put together a winning season in a, a long time. Um and the joke was that since they, that was the first year that the National League split into two divisions that at least they couldn't figure, finish worse than sixth. You know, that was like the Mets team. Right. They went on to win 101 games themselves and then beat the Orioles as a sort of upsetting and jugger- juggernaut in the finals kind of storybook ending to a storybook season. Yeah. With the entirety of the rest of the sports world outside of Balt- the greater Baltimore area rallying around them with sort of a sense of of uh, coming together in a in a ridiculous way, so my America's question for you exactly, which would you say is better? Um, and I think that in my heart of hearts, I would actually be take the underdog story and the grit and the surprise over the sixteen and 0 Miami Dolphins.
1: Mm. I uh, yeah, I mean I'm right there with you. I think obviously we have a very recent um, uh, analog for this, which is the the. Lusty, lusty cheering of Pittsburgh fans mm. in Pittsburgh's one-game playoff against Cincinnati, which was played last night, uh, or X nights ago for whenever you're listening <laughs> this. <laughs> that was a needless qualification. Um, but you know all those all those people chanting "Quedo, Quedo," right. and, right, right, and right, they right. made him drop the ball. The next pitch, Russell Martin hits a home run. That is. That's sports lore that you can't script. It's quality. Right it's quality there. work. Um, and, and as we have talked about many times on this show, the 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 rumble that came from every section of Oriole Park in Camden Yards when Whew. the Orioles won Game 2 of the ALDS in 2012, I mean, there's nothing... I've never experienced anything like that. Yeah. I've never experienced anything like this kind of unified, primal... Scream and and scream sounds like desperate and pathetic, so I don't even know if scream it's is more the right like thing. A roar yeah, it was it's a more roar. like a roar, yeah, uh that came out of the throats of forty eight thousand people simultaneously, right when Alex Rodriguez struck out in that game that you don't you don't know what that is if you haven't been through the trenches with
2: a team, right. And but and I also think that you don't know what that is if the bookies are putting you at 2 to 1 odds to win and that you're expected to win. I think that then it's a roar of excitement and and pleasure, but also a little bit of relief, and it's also a little bit more like, well, we were just sort of taking care of business yeah. and you were winning because you were supposed to win, because you had the more talented players, right? that sort of thing. Well, um, I think,
1: for me, what this kind of speaks to is, is something that I think we haven't actually talked about very much on the podcast, but one of the reasons I feel that baseball is superior to all other sports and pastimes <laughs> um, is that it requires an extremely deep level of engagement, mm. and, that, and I feel like that's true from the most micro level to the most macro level with the sport. If you're going to sit down and watch a baseball game, it's slow, there is an incredibly elaborate and absurd amount of strategy that goes into every single pitch right every single inning every single game and there's a game every night there's 162 of them over the course of a season I mean you are making an extremely deep investment if you are going to wade into the emotional waters of loving a baseball team and what's great about that is let's say you're a Yankees fan I don't know why you've made that life decision but let's say you are <laughs> Uh, if you've been around for long enough and if you're an actual Yankees fan, you remember the 80s when the Yankees were a joke. Right. And it, it hasn't been frequent with the Yankees, but they've, they've gone through periods where they were a joke. The Orioles, for as bad as they were from 1998 to 2011, in Extremely. Yeah, which was extremely. <laughs> in the 60s and 70s, they were a juggernaut. Right. Um, it, the Mets, uh, for as bad and bit as they seem to be right now, had this 1969 team right uh and other teams sort of sprinkled in there throughout history <laughs> yeah. um the the one exception here might be if you're a cubs fan cuz that's a ooh, yeah that's a tough road to hoe yeah um but i guess my point is uh i think that everybody gets to have the experience of being the fan you're talking about right if you pay attention closely enough and for a long enough time hmm. everybody gets to be that fan I would say it's a question of baseball calling you to a higher level of responsibility
2: (laughs) as a person. Will you answer the phone? (laughs) Than any other sport or pastime. Right. So, um, for those keeping track at home, we've launched into our uh, reprisal of the 2013 year by claiming that all other sports are morally corrupt in comparison to baseball.
1: Yes, and by talking primarily about the Mets and politics. (laughs) (laughs) So basically par for the show <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, uh, well, it's not so... the wrap-up episode of the show <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true.
2: Maybe we should just let other people talk, huh? Yeah, well, maybe we should okay <laughs>
1: uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we have invited a cavalcade. It's a night of too many stars a
2: night of too many stars
1: on Baltimore On's tonight uh, on tonight's episode you're going to hear from Section 336 Josh Soroka joins us. You're gonna hear from Zach Wilt from the BSR podcast. BSR stands for Baltimore Sports Report. Where have you heard that one before? (laughs) And uh, then we're going to check in with our good friend and the sanest man that I know, (laughs) Dan Duquette, Executive Vice President of Baseball Operations for the Baltimore Orioles. And that's going to be it for this episode. Next week, you're going to hear recaps from our good friends at Orioles Spastics, our good friends at the OBP podcast, and then you're going to finally after, after waiting <laughs> so hard, you're going to find out uh, Alan and I's opinions about the 2013 Orioles season, as if you didn't know them already.
2: <laughs> we're going to put a nail in the, in the 2013 coffin.
1: Yeah, but we're going to take two weeks to do it. <laughs> All right, enough of us. Let's jump in with Josh. This is Baltimore Ons. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are on the line with the first of our cavalcade of star guests on this evening's Baltimore Ons. We are joined on the Skype line. I wish we had a sponsor for the Skype line. We're working on it. We're, We're working, working on, on it. it. This is Josh Sroka from the Very Fine Section 336 podcast. Josh, how are you, sir?
3: Doing doing well. Uh, missing the Orioles already a few <laughs> days in, but doing well.
1: You had, a, uh, you had a Facebook post up today that I felt encapsulated things very well. You said, and I'm paraphrasing... Well, that's it. It just hit me. I miss the birds.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You get a couple of days where you're like, "This is nice. I don't have a commitment of watching TV tonight," <laughs> and that. But then, yeah, after a, two days and watching another baseball game, uh, realized, no, I want the Orioles back.
2: Hey, we do. We do get. It sounds like we are going to get a little bit of Adam Jones in the playoffs, though.
3: Yeah, I. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's going to be there. <laughs> yeah, jury is solidly still out on that one.
2: <laughs> as right. long as he's chewing bubble gum in the studio, I'm going to be happy. Oh, that
1: would be spectacular. That would be spectacular. If, they, if he was blowing a bubble every time they, uh, they went to the booth on one of the breaks, I would be very proud of, <laughs> of our Adam. All right, Josh. Well, as you know, we have you on the program tonight for the 2013 season recap, and we're hoping you'll be able to tell us your 2013 season highlight your 2013 season low light. The first thing you would like Dan Duquette to do this off season, as well as a bit of an epigraph for the 2013 season, a phrase which for you sums things up in a neat little package. Do you feel prepared for your mission,
3: sir? Uh, yeah, I'm all set. I I just noticed the, uh, what you were requesting a few minutes ago, but I've, <laughs> those are pretty easy questions, and I kind of I already have those prepared.
2: Well, yeah. I haven't thought about it at all either, so you're in good company. <laughs> God damn it, uh, gentlemen! <laughs> <laughs> Turn so a respectable program here. <laughs> 2013 Orioles highlight.
3: Yeah, the highlight has all my highlight lights are just broad, and the highlight is just CN's uh, players like Chris Davis, Adam Jones, Manny Machado. Really become their own and just uh, become who they are and live up to the potential that we've seen in these guys.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think uh, I think watching three bona fide stars uh, make themselves known uh, in what's hopefully going to be the core of our lineup, both offensively and defensively, for the next few years was was it was a thrill to watch the entire season.
3: Right, and I, and I'm excited, especially with those guys, to see. Uh, As awards come out for end of the season, who gets the gold gloves? Uh, I don't even know if Davis is going to be talked as an MVP, but he should be. Yeah. And stuff like that.
2: Do you think that when—you always talk about players at that kind of in the age that we're talking about here. Manny's a little bit young for it, but making the leap and becoming stars— of those three guys, who do you think is the most likely to have uh, overplayed his hand? <laughs> who, who do you think might regress, or who do you think made the leap for keeps? Uh,
3: uh, I, I'm kind of feeling that Jones. That's kind of his peak.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: and mm-hmm. It, we've mm-hmm. seen him get better each year. I can't. I don't know if I see him getting uh, better than that next year. Yeah, uh, unless unless he stays away from that low and away pitch. Yep, but. Yep. Uh, The other guys, Davis worked really hard this offseason to get to where he was. So, I don't know if he's going to be chasing the home run record again, but I think we'll still have good things with him. And, man, he's so young. Who knows where the ceiling is on him. Yeah,
1: yeah. All right. Uh, So, those are obviously all very positive things. What about the 2013 low light for you?
3: (laughs) The low light is the losing of the one-run games. Whether it was... Hmm. Jim Johnson blowing the save or some, or someone else. It was just so many games where it was one play that, uh, we were away like one big hit and we would have won a hit. a get a guy in with runners in scoring position and we would have won the game.
2: Yep. Um, It's such a stark contrast, too, to the year before when we had just sort of been pre-programmed to expect that we were going to come up big in those situations, you know? (laughs) That's supposed to be our wheelhouse. Exactly. That We had that that false confidence, that bravado that those were games that Orioles won now. Magic didn't quite kick in this year like it could (laughs) have.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, and it's interesting, I was, uh, we're going to speak to Dan Duquette later in the program, as we <laughs> sometimes do, so uh, I'll leave these, these revelations for him, but uh, we had intern Scotty dig into the numbers a little bit, and one of the things I think is really interesting about the one-run games is not only did our luck go down a little bit, but last year we played 38 games that were decided by one-run, this year 51. Wow. So not only did our luck go down, but there were bigger implications for that. Um, so I agree that was obviously a really glaring difference for the team this year and is responsible for a lot of the, the sadness that we now feel in our hearts. <laughs> yes. So uh, towards the idea of, of improving on that next year, what's the first thing you want to see Dan Duquette do this off season?
3: You know, I, I just want to see Dan make a splash. Uh, yeah. uh, whether it's an ace or a reliable bat that can get those runners in scoring position, I think we need... Uh, we, we were so close this year, I feel like... We, if we had a little better pitching, we would have made it to the playoffs. A little better hitting, we would have made it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would just like a splash of get a name player, get one of these top free agents. Yeah. Um, we're used to so many years of just sitting around or before that where we would make the splash, but no, that wasn't going to do anything except sell a few extra tickets. Do so yeah.
2: you think we are? Uh, uh, this is maybe a general question we're going to ask everybody, but do you think we are that one piece away?
3: Uh, yeah, I think that's what the 51 one-run game shows. Yep, is for sure. That, that's yep. how close we were playing our competition. <laughs> yeah. That it, it takes just that one little piece to push us over the edge.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, if you had to sum it all up, 2013 in a couple of sentences, what would you say?
3: Yeah, I just wrote down uh, not quite magical mm. or, or couldn't quite find the magic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially after a year... Just a, as you were saying, the magical 2012 Orioles Magic is Back year to this year, where it was, a, it was a roller coaster year where we keep getting our hopes up and then it would fall apart.
1: Yeah. Well, and to the point you were just making, uh, I was looking on the, the on MLB.com at the final standings and they had an expected one loss record for each team. And I don't know exactly how that was calculated, but the Orioles right. were one of the only teams where their, our expected one loss record was 85 and 77, uh, suggesting as you say, that all we were missing this year was just that little sprinkle of, of Dan Duquette fairy dust, right? Um, which hopefully
3: that, <laughs> we'll right. find this off-season. That, that, that's the magic we had in 2012 yeah. that, that pushed us over by winning those one-run games, by winning extra inning games.
2: By and by just, going on those runs that we couldn't, you know, five, six, seven games in a row that we couldn't ever quite get that going, that momentum. Yes.
3: Yes. We, we found a way in 2012 and not quite this year.
2: Yeah.
1: All right, Josh. Well, thank you very much for joining us for the 2013 Baltimore on Season Recap episode. Everybody, you're probably doing this already because you're smart people, Baltimore Ons. <laughs> But make sure to get over to section 336.com and check out the boys very fine podcast over there. Uh, Josh, any parting thoughts?
3: Uh, no, I mean, I'm excited for this off season. I get ready to start the countdown for spring training, but, uh, Until then, we'll be talking Ravens and uh, other NFL and off-season acquisitions uh, to get us through. You're listening to Baltimore
2: the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. (laughs) We are on now on the line with the mothership. (laughs) (laughs) The heart of the Baltimore Sports Report Network, uh, Baltimore Sports Report hero himself.
1: (laughs) Zach Wiltz, how are you doing this evening, sir? Wow, I don't know if I can come on after
2: that
0: intro. That's that's crazy. The mothership—that's what Dan Patrick calls ESPN. So that's uh, that's a little frightening. I don't want you guys to think of think of BSR as the mothership. But no, thanks for the intro. I'm doing I'm doing well. It's good to talk to you guys.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, we we were feeling very amiss that we never actually managed to get you guys on whilst the Orioles were still playing baseball. But better late than never.
0: Yeah, I was hoping they'd still be playing now. So uh yes. so yes. we can use that as the excuse.
1: <laughs> well, speaking of the fact that they are not playing anymore, Zach, as you know, we've invited you on as part of our 2013 recap episode, and we're hoping that you will be able to provide us your 2013 season highlight, your low light, the first move you'd like to see Dan Duquette make uh, this offseason, as well as your epigraph. And and I should say, uh, I don't know if, if the correct word is epigraph, epitaph, or epigram. So <laughs> I'm going to use a different vocabulary word every Podcast that we talk to on the show today. <laughs>
0: well, since I learned most of my vocabulary from listening to the Baltimoreans, I'm going <laughs> to defer to you guys, uh, and I'll I'll just give you that uh, that that stat, that bit of information last, and I'll let you guys decide right. which word works best for it.
1: I uh, I am so sorry for you and your communication <laughs> skills. <laughs> All right, well, let's jump right in then. Uh, what would you say is your 2013 highlight?
0: So uh, this was, you know, this was tough uh, for me to narrow down, and and I promise I'm not going to congratulate uh, uh, our show, the BSR podcast, or myself anymore after this. But <laughs> at the beginning of the season. Patrick Guthrie said on our show that Chris Davis was going to hit 40 home runs, and well it, it's—I I, know—crazy, right? Crazy. It was crazy at the time. <laughs> it was nuts to think about. Uh, you know, we got a lot of tweets and some emails from people just thinking that that was just a, an unbelievable thing um, to to see happen. Now, on August second, I was fortunate enough to be at the yard. It was a Friday night. It was against oh, the Mariners chris davis hit number 40 off aaron harangue and we all knew you know a month earlier that he was going to hit 40 home runs but to be there in the stands to sit i was in section three which is sort of in the cutout there like along the right field line and to watch that ball uh travel off the bat it was it was a pretty amazing moment and maybe that's not the highlight of the year but when i think of the moment that sticks out in my mind, the most memorable moment uh, mm-hmm, of watching mm-hmm. the Orioles this season, it's got to be being in the stands, being at Camden Yards, and watching Davis hit 40. Not not even you know, seeing 51, seeing him, him break Brady's record, which was amazing too, but actually being in attendance to watch that happen was pretty yeah. incredible.
1: Well, it, it fits into this larger narrative that I think was a huge part of the Orioles season this year, which was, for the first time... It, that I can remember, we had a legit stud on our team. We had somebody who we go into an opposing park and people were like, what are we going to do about that? guy?" <laughs> and yeah, it's true. And yeah. you had people in cities all over the country who had made homemade signs saying Davis hit it here. Uh, I mean, what is that for an Orioles fan? Like <laughs> I, I, I am feeling feelings that I don't know what to do. With.
4: But, but I know, I, I I know. Like it's,
0: it's, it's true. It's uh it's amazing to think about and to look back on and, yeah, to to see him turn that corner and to go from the guy he was in 2012 to taking the leaps and bounds that he took in 2013 um yeah, I will I will always think of that when I think of uh, of this season for sure.
1: Now my question is would you be satisfied with uh, 10 fewer home runs and 50 fewer strikeouts?
0: Oh with, without a doubt yeah. <laughs> okay, without all right. a doubt. I'd be happy with him uh, with him sitting a little bit too. Uh, yeah. Well, well him along with Jones and and Machado sitting a little bit getting a little bit more rest so when we get to September. Two thousand and fourteen, maybe those guys aren't hitting in the low two hundreds yeah all on I think MTV. that was that had a lot to do with it too. They just got so
1: burned out at the end of the season, well speaking of guys hitting in the low two hundreds in september <laughs> uh, <laughs> what what would you say was your two thousand and thirteen season low light you know it's
0: it's easy to say manny machado's injury and and I, yeah, I think I'm second on your guy's <laughs> list here of uh, uh of folks you're talking to about highlights, low lights, and everything uh-huh. so I don't know how many people are going to say machado's injury, but Another one that that really sticks out in my mind that I wasn't a big fan of and I'm still not a big fan of was trading for Michael Morse. Um, So if I'm not going to use the easy one, if I'm not going to use Machado going down, I'm going to say trading for Michael Morse. I mean, I thought this was an awful deal. I thought they sold Dan Duquette, sold Xavier Avery incredibly low. I, I, I wasn't expecting him to be the outfielder of the future, but I thought his value was at its lowest point, and that's when You know, he was dealt, which you never want to do on the market. Uh, With the Orioles, we saw Michael Morris hit 103 with a 133 (laughs) on-base percentage and a 103 slugging percentage. One walk, seven strikeouts. He ended up only playing in 12 games. Was not that bad against the lefties that they were hoping. (laughs) And and honestly, I don't know why they were hoping that, because he came to the Orioles after hitting 226, 283, 410 in 76 games with the Mariners. So, you know, I, I, I didn't get the deal. Uh, when it was made I I still don't get the deal so you know I'll I'll give you that one as as my low light of the season
1: no I'm I'm right there with you man and I think you know I mean obviously Manny's injury was was shattering to to watch and listen to and shattering to ponder in terms of its implications but um, that wasn't like strategic, you know that's just something right. that happened it was a It was a fluke incident. Michael Morse is a situation where uh the people who run the ball club that we love so much apparently sat down and said, "This is a good idea <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, yeah. see, i, don't, I, I think- don't know I don't know what numbers they were looking at when they did think that, but they weren't the same numbers that I was looking at. So
2: <laughs> it feels to me a little bit like uh, um, Dan Duquette having a am Dan Duquette, damn it" moment. <laughs> where <he> sort of <laughs> everything like, else has worked out. Yeah, so he why wouldn't Morris come here and get 400
0: in <laughs> September?
2: <laughs> I mean, you know, he he comes back to the DC area. He regains his Nationals form. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can talk yourself into it, but no.
0: <laughs> yeah, it didn't work. It didn't work. So that that's my low light. I'm still frustrated about that. You know, as of as of mid September, I still had people trying to tell me that, oh, well, it'll be all right because you know they'll re-sign him and, and he'll bounce back. But it, it's it's you know it's spiraled more and
2: more out of control as it went along. So so assuming we don't re-sign him. Uh, what's the one move that you think Duquette needs to make now uh, going into this offseason? Is it is it to get a bat to replace a Michael Morse, or is it uh, a pitcher move? What's the what's the first thing he has to do?
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, I've been harping on it all season. I, I watch this team every day in September like you guys and like your listeners and our listeners, and I understand the frustrations with runners and scoring position. And as I mentioned earlier, I think a lot of that was the core guys – being burnt out i mean jones davis Mm -hmm. machado jones hit 233 davis hit 216 machado hit 194 in september yep that's frustrating however having a team era a starters era of 4.57 on the season that's 27th in major league baseball that has to be the first order of business it's a miracle that the orioles were down you know they were below the Rockies, below the Phillies, below the Padres, below the Angels, below the Brewers in starting pitchers ERA. <laughs> and they still won as many games as they did. They won 85 games. That's that's amazing. They were down there with the Astros, the Blue Jays, and the Twins were the only teams with, with worse starting pitching than the Orioles. That's a real
1: uh, uh, rogues it, it, gallery of uh, bedfellows. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say that's a, that's a real rogues gallery of bedfellows. It's uh, insane.
0: Your... It's insane to look at that. You know, uh, the Orioles don't even need good starting pitching. They need starting pitching that isn't horrible. Average. I- if I'll they're around 16th in the league, I think this team is dramatically better than they were last year. So, you know, bring in some average starting pitching, I think, yeah. and, and it'll make a world of difference in 2014.
2: So is that re-signing Feldman and Chen, or is that going out and trying to get who? <laughs>
0: yeah i know that's that's the, that's why i'm glad i can uh i can be the critic and not be the gm yeah, right? Real, um, <laughs> uh, you know uh, the way feldman pitched it, it did surprise me i didn't expect him to be nearly yeah you know, he was more efficient than bud norris was and i definitely didn't see that happening for sure uh, i would like to see feldman back uh in baltimore in 2014 yeah i i don't you know i, I think the way he pitched this year between chicago and baltimore it, he's it, yeah, he he set himself up for for this offseason for sure and yeah. i hope he set himself up for a deal in baltimore because i'd like to see them bring back a guy that that proved he can pitch in the, in the al east yeah you know uh, and another as th- as far as other guys go you know i'm not really sure where to go from there but i can tell you <laughs> it needs to be better than 27 let's let's get to 15 or 16 you know it doesn't need to be top 10 but well, let's get in the middle of the pack
1: that's the thing that's that's kind of the emergent theme i think of the episode so far is like we're talking about very fine calibrations that need to be made here to to take this team over the hump. Because, I mean, if, think about if we went up, what would that say? We went up to 15th. There'll be up 12 spots in the league rankings and starting pitching. How many wins is that? That's got to be at least five or six wins, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. And if, if we win five or six more games, then we're playing in that one game playoff. And that's just by improving our starting pitching a little bit.
0: Right. Yep, exactly. So that that's the main order of business. I, you know, I, I still think that uh, if if Buck were a little more confident in the bench, and and I think bench players are much easier to acquire or to build uh, than starting pitching, um, <laughs> especially in this organization. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> uh, but but I think it's more important to to get the starters you know where they need to be. I, I'm still very very confident in this offense, despite what we saw in September.
1: All right, well. Uh, so if you could sum it all up for us and, uh, let's go with epigram this time. Cause who knows what the right <laughs> word is.
0: All right. You guys can call this whatever you want, but here's what I got for you. Okay. Nine blown saves, 20 and 31 in one run games. So yep. you talk about, you talk about changing it, uh, you know, by a couple games. What if Jim Johnson blows, uh, six saves instead of nine and the Orioles win three more one run games. Yep. You know, I mean, I mean, it's it's amazing that that's all it will take to be ready. You know, they finished six and a half back in the AL Wild Card. If if Johnson blows six instead of nine, and they win three more one run games, are right there. There's so. your difference, <laughs> right there. Yeah, it's it's amazing that, that that's one. That's probably the story of the year, in my opinion. Those those two differences between 2012
2: and 2013. For sure, man. Isn't it amazing though that the our, our Baltimore Orioles are uh, one. Uh, one or two seeing eye ground balls away from being in the playoffs versus <laughs> previous incarnations where we're one or two seeing eye ground balls away from finishing with sixty wins.
0: Oh, definitely, De- and that's why I find it so difficult to complain about this year. And you know, and, and watching competitive baseball through the end of September, oh. I, I'm I'm grateful for that. What and, a joy! Uh, you know, I obviously want to see them take the next steps, but. You guys know as, as well as I do. Just seeing the seeing the steps they've made the past two seasons. It, it, you know, I I wrote about this. I've, I've talked about it on the podcast. If these seasons were reversed, if if you know, 2013 happened in 2012, and 2012 happened in 2013, it would have been a lot easier uh, on my heart for right. sure. <laughs> and it, and it sort of seems like that's the way it should have played out. But uh, but we got spoiled real quick. Uh, in 2012.
1: We went from uh it was like going from the from the full body covering women's bathing suit to bikinis and then back to one pieces. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: that's, that's the perfect analogy right there. All right, well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we'll There's go with epigram. that. Is that an epigram? Epigraph? What you do know, you want to call that? I that wrote was an epithet. <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote a different one but uh it's it, it well, it it's more appropriate then. <laughs> Um, all right, Zach. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen in Baltimore Ons Nation, as, again, I'm sure you're already doing, make sure to be checking out the BSR podcast, reading all of the great content at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. And, Zach, we'll be talking to you guys again soon.
0: Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
2: You're listening to Baltimore Ons, the home of the all-weather Fan. Uh, and we are very excited to once again be able to bring you an exclusive interview with the uh, Vice President of Baseball Operations for the Baltimore Orioles, Mr. Dan Duquette. Dan, condolences on a tough end of the season, but it's really great to have you back on the show. We've missed, you, uh, missed your presence here.
4: Well, uh, Alan, as you know, I was very busy towards the end of the season making trades that seemed ideal on paper but ultimately did not pan out.
2: Oh, come on, Dan. I think you're being too hard on yourself there, my man. How could you have known that L.J. Hose would bat, uh what was it, 184 points higher than Michael Morris while posting an unbased percentage that is almost literally three times as high?
4: That, is that real?
2: That is real.
4: Wow. That <laughs> is a serious blow to my self-esteem. I, I mean, that's a weight to carry around. That's, uh... Well, that's what I call a Danville.
2: Um, A a what
4: now? A Danville. You see, Alan, I'm a person who is accustomed to a certain amount of sadness and regret in my life. I have taken to referring to these emotional burdens as Danvilles. Some of these are as recent as 2013, for example, the Michael Morse trade. Others date back to my childhood. I I call the older Danvilles (laughs) Dantiques.
2: Dan I see. Well, um, I don't think we have enough time here in this episode for a full and robust session of psychoanalysis. So let's let's stick to the, the Danvilles of the 2013 season. Um, I know a lot of people have been focused on some of the negative things that happened near the end of the season, but let's go for a positive here. What would you say the highlight of the 2013 season was for you, Dan?
4: Well, I think it's hard to pick anything besides the emergence of Chris Tillman and Chris Davis as first-tier major league performers. A lot of people thought their strides last year were a fluke, and I think they proved the naysayers wrong in a very decisive fashion. It's, it's hard to believe I was considering packaging the two of them in a deal for John Lester just last winter.
2: Is that something you were actually going to do? Or is that what appears in retrospect to be just an idiotic proposal made by my co-host, Sam?
4: Uh, you know, it's hard to say. Over time, I feel like I've gotten to know Sam so well, I sometimes have trouble figuring out if my thoughts, opinions, and desires are my own or his.
2: Really? Because um, I- I've hosted 69 episodes of this show with Sam, and that's not something I ever worry about exactly. Um, okay, so h- how about a low light of the season for what would you say the worst part of the 2013 Baltimore Orioles was?
4: Well, uh, leaving aside the injuries to Manny and Dylan Bundy, I think the most disheartening thing about this season would have to be the fact that we finished in the top five in batting average and slugging percentage, but we finished tenth in on-base percentage. It's a glaring hole in our offense with no obvious answer in the near term. Much was made of the fact that we went 29-9 and in one-run ball games last year, Alan. And while you could argue that this year's regression comes from a reversal of fortune in that regard, I think that's an oversimplification. The fact is that in addition to having a losing record in one-run games this year, we also played 51 of them.
2: So just doing the math off the top of my head, that means that 31% of our games this year were one-run games?
4: That is absolutely correct, Alan. Now, while a lot of blame has been laid at the feet of Jim Johnson for his nine-blown saves, I'm of the opinion that the offense shares at least as much blame. If we were doing a better job of getting on base and driving in runs, we'd be scoring enough runs to prevent so many situations where a couple bad pitches from Jim can cost us a ball game.
2: Is that a implicit vote of confidence for uh, giving Jim Johnson the closer role back next season?
4: Well, as a rule, I prefer not to speculate on what I consider to be managerial decisions. That would be a breach of what I call Ducatica. With that said, (laughs) I think a strategy of refocusing our offensive philosophy to emphasize plate discipline and run creation will obviate people's concerns about Jim Johnson.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, Uh, moving on. We've been asking our other guests uh, on tonight's show what they think Dan Duquette's first move should be this offseason. Now, seeing as you are Dan Duquette uh, and are thus in a unique position to tell us what that might be, are there any tidbits you would be willing to share?
4: Well, my first move is going to be spending a little time on some side projects I can never seem to find the time for during the season. One of them I'm particularly excited about is an online marketplace for homemade Duquette family crafts. It's called Duquetti and it will feature such items as customized paintbrush holes, a cocktail napkin which doubles as a pocket square, and a robotic vacuum cleaner that plays an endless loop of Winston Churchill speeches. Once I'm done with all of that, I'm going to trade Kevin Gossman and Matt Wieters to the Marlins for Giancarlo Stanton. Whoa!
2: Whoa! Hang on a second there, Dan. You can't just uh, lull me off into a peaceful land of dreamlike reverie with inspired design projects and then drop a little bomb like that one. Is this really something you're prepared to do?
4: Fair enough, Alan, but in the words of one of my role models, search your feelings, you know it to be true.
2: Wait a second, hold on. That's a quote from Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars. Are you saying that the supreme commander of the evil Galactic Empire is one of your role models, Dan?
4: It's going to take some unpopular decisions to undo the damage of the 1998 to 2011 seasons, Alan. As all of history's great leaders are well aware, what is right is not always popular, and what is popular is not always right. Also, I admittedly thought that quote was from Winston Churchill, which means (laughs) I'm going to have to make a few tweaks to the speech engine on the robotic vacuum cleaner before we bring it to market.
2: Uh, Well, before you do that, Dan, I would actually buy a vacuum cleaner that plays Star Wars quotes before I'd buy one that plays Winston Churchill speeches. So keep that in your hat. Um, Speaking of quotes, our last question for you this evening, Dan, if you had to sum up 2013 season in an epigram, what would that be?
4: I think I'd like to leave your listeners with a quote from another of my role models. And it goes like this. In a big family, the first child is kind of like the first pancake. If it's not perfect, that's okay. There are a lot more coming along.
2: Dan, Dan, uh, uh, that's that's not a quote from anything that you should be happy with. That's from arch-conservative Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia.
4: As I think of him, Alan, Dantonin Scalia. I think it's a useful way of looking at the future of the Baltimore Orioles, which is to say that I'd like our fans to trust that we're going to keep churning out the best pancakes we can muster. And if the one that lands on your plate in a given season isn't to your liking, you can rest assured that I won't stop working with the dough to make you a better one next year.
2: Okay, um, that's that's fine and actually kind of inspirational, but I think there's a larger problem we need to address here, Dan, which is that you're taking life advice from some pretty evil bastards.
4: Oops, I'm sorry, Alan, that's my free agent alarm, I better go. I'd like to be first in line to make an offer to Jeff Francoeur.
2: Dan, Dan, no, that's a terrible idea. That has literally never worked out for anyone. Oh, how oh, good he's gone. This feels like something he might actually, actually be doing.
4: Well, uh, I'll be honest with you, Alan, I, I, think it's all a load of garbage.
2: Baltimoreans. Well, uh, Baltimoreans, like a uh, an Italian chef who is running low on spices. We are out of time for this week's episode.
3: Uh, my
1: microphone was (laughs) muted ladies and gentlemen otherwise you would have heard me cackling like a schoolboy at that fine fine pun work from Alan Smith where's that goddamn bell (laughs) thank you all for
2: that's out of the shop great there it goes Uh, thank you all for taking the time to listen to this week's first half of the 2013 recap we'll be with you uh, next week with some more thoughts from Charlie at Orioles Spastics from um, Cal over at OBP Apparel and of course from your your uh your humble hosts here on the home of the all weather fan
1: yes ladies and gentlemen, that's right. thank you very much to our very fine guest for this evening josh at section three thirty six zach at the b s r podcast and thank you as always to all of you for tuning in if you dug what you heard, thank you dan duquette get uh, yeah 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 we <laughs> should probably thank him for taking the time although what's he doing yeah really what's i don't know i actually i haven't uh i wasn't here for the for the call what's he up to these days he has some feelings, okay, yeah should, right. should listen back okay I'll, I'll check it out maybe um, alright folks that's that's it for, for part one of our 2013 season recap uh, if you dig what you hear BeMorons.com is the place to be BaltimoreSportsReport.com slash network at BeMorons on Twitter and also don't forget about the music
4: <laughs> that was as <laughs> much for wouldn't. me as it
1: was for you uh, our theme music is by Marshall York now, now, the outro music in this episode is, as usual, kicking my heart around. The outro music for next week's episode is special. It's special. really, really special. It's splendid. So just get ready for that. Yeah.
2: You'll have to wait a week, but I want you to start getting ready.
1: Yeah. Okay, goodbye.
3: Goodbye.